Hey, it's Greg Sykes here, and you're listening to Frequency. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Frequency Podcast. Man, has it been a while, and it's good to check in with my good buddy, Joe. How's it going, Joe? It's a beautiful summer here in the Pacific Northwest. I really don't have anything (laughs) impressive to say. Uh, You know, (laughs) we've been talking for almost a half an hour, and then it's like, oh, hey, we should probably record. That that, that might be a good thing. This is a podcast consistency. In fact, I've been listening to a few other podcasts recently, including the Worship Ministry Catalyst podcast. And um, I do find that there is a consistent sort of a starting to podcasts. And it's like a, and I'm, I'm not trying to be um, critical of, of Worship Ministry Catalyst because it actually wasn't yours that I was thinking of, but um just like almost cheeseball, um, goofy, oh, we're missing this. Like everyone is like awkward at the beginning. Oh, yeah. And it, and it's like not funny, but everyone thinks it's funny. It's just awkward. There's a – well, and here we are, beginning our podcast talking about awkward beginnings of podcasts. Uh, yeah. I know, you know, because we've been doing this for a few years uh, at this point that there's a rhythm that you get into with each other and a comfort that you get. You know, the first couple of episodes I remember doing like a, the um, the uh, was Songwriters Cafe. Is that what it was called? Yep. Gosh, it's That's been right. a while. Yeah. I was so nervous that I would say something dumb and then I was just going to edit it out. Now I'm like, oh, it's staying in. I don't care. Yeah. It's not because I yeah. don't care about what people hear. It's because, you know, you get comfortable with letting your own personality just kind of be on display and and people either want to listen to you or they don't want to listen to you. And yeah, I think, I think that's what, what we've learned because ever since our dead dog episode, I think is, is the point when we just said, you know what? It's just us. Who cares? Yeah, so right. what? Like when, like when, when we had the reality that I wasn't able to keep up on, on what was going on in your life, <laughs> and we've known each other for I don't know how many years now. We've been doing this since like 2011. I think we 2012 was when Frequency started. I think 20... 2009, maybe even. It was like All But Worship, Songwriters Cafe. Yeah. Anyways, we're giving plugs to ministries that have changed no longer and morphed exist a lot. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and a good shout out to Wisdom Moon since we're talking about it because I've been following his social media and I want to um, encourage people to check him out. He's he's really um, stepped up his game. Like he he's he's hit a rhythm. Talking about rhythms. Yeah. Um, you know, the the um, marketing with wisdom, uh, he's doing well. And uh, I I think he's doing good work and it's very consistent and he understands social media. And uh, um, I know he, he's been in Nashville and back basically. Um, but if people have fo- followed us and tracked along with us, we've had a, a relationship with him over the years and it's just neat when we get to this point and we can encourage each other and we're all getting a little older and a little wiser, I hope. 
Um, but yeah, if, if you're an artist or, you know, he, he seems to be doing well for the artist. Yeah. Uh, and this is, a, this is a tough time for any type of artist, author. It just seems like nobody wants to spend money. Everyone wants a subscription. No one wants to pay for anything. Everyone wants things for free. Um, everyone likes to complain. Um, <laughs> It, it's it's a very tough time to be creative. It seems. I would. I don't yeah. know. What do you think? No, I definitely think so. It's something that you know in the banter that occurs before interviews and after interviews, because there's always, you know, what what folks get to hear is the hey, we're going to start recording now. Bit after there's been about twenty minutes, an hour sometimes of just conversation, and yeah, and there's just a lot of. Uh, it's the 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 willingness to invest in art. It feels like some of that has been lost, and mm-hmm. I don't know what that's about, other than looking back to the early aughts, you know, early two thousands, when Napster came around, and you discovered yeah. that you could get digital copies of music without paying anything. And I remember downloading tons of stuff. Because I could, you know. And, oh, I remember too. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm guilty. Well, I yeah. uh, you'll hear it in the interview. But one of the things that I did is I, when I discovered that Sheridan Voise, who's the guy uh, I interviewed um, for this episode, um, I got about halfway through the book and I was running short on time to finish the book. And I thought, I bet you he's got an audio book because he's a radio guy. You know, yeah, and he did, and I, and I'm so I'm gonna I'm gonna spend twelve bucks, and I'm gonna get a copy of his audiobook so that I'm yep. ready for the interview. But also, why not support what's a really good book and a and a right. person who stepped out in faith to move from Australia to Oxford, uh, left behind a you know a popular national radio show in Australia, so that his wife had some new opportunities to teach in England. It's like. Man, stepping out in faith, why we need to reward this kind of yeah. stuff. And if you mm-hmm. like an artist, the work that they're doing and they're creating <clears throat> great stuff, we we n- want them to stay in the mix. Yeah, you know that uh, you hear so much so much uh, griping about our and one of those people is me. Christian music isn't as good as it should be. It's um. Uh, you know, it's just homogenized, recycled stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching episodes of this TV show, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's about songwriting. <laughs> um, okay. And they they have songwriters come on and pitch their songs, and then they show kind of the production process as they revamp it. So they're pitching it to an actual recording artist like the Jonas Brothers or, uh, you okay. know. And Songland is what it's called, and uh, and watching them produce and just the nature of how they hear different elements in that song, I go, oh, well, the initial pitch would have made it on Christian radio. That was good enough for that. And then they say, okay, we need to change this. Let's put this little element in there. Why don't we add that little piece? And then when they're done, you go, oh, okay, that's, I hear the original element of the song, but I hear how it's been you know, raised up a few levels. Mm-hmm. So listen to me just kind of go off. So forgive me for that, you know? No, no, I was, I, on that tangent, I was actually, <laughs> cause I have a uh, Christian artist on my Facebook feed. So KB is a rap artist that, um, 
um, is on my Facebook and he shared a, a, an article about a jury that actually found that Katy Perry's dark horse copied a Christian rap song and she's being fined. And I just, I was dumbfounded. I thought it was like clickbait for a second. So I clicked on the link and it was the Associated Press, which I would say is fairly balanced in their approach to news. And so the AP, AP Press put it out that the jury on Monday found that Katy Perry's 2013, like that's how long ago it was, yeah. um, that the hit Dark Horse improperly copied a 2009 Christian rap song. And it was a unanimous decision that represented, basically it's a takedown of a pop star and by a relatively unknown artist. Um, but they, they, to make a long story short, they, they tried to say, well, this person, you know, we don't even listen to that music. So how would we have come across it? And then the jury basically said, um, there's millions of hits on this song. Anyone could have listened to it. It's on YouTube. It's on every streaming service. So there's no way that they would have not been exposed to it in some way. Um, and the hook and the beat and everything were what they were challenging. Um, the reason I think it's interesting also is that the article didn't pick out that Katy Perry actually was in the Christian realm mm -hmm. and was part of, I think it was Acquire the Fire in Canada, because uh, I have a friend who is an artist who is on the same platform with her when she was a different name, and uh, they omitted that. Um, at least it wasn't part of the article. Um, so she would definitely have understood and known and been around Christian music. And that's the irony of it. Um, but they tried to say that they wouldn't have had any exposure to it. But that's what happens when an artist gets elevated to a point where it's, it's sort of just out there. You're not like a Christian artist. You're just an artist. Right. And, and they think because they're big and they make lots of money, Capitol Records is indicted in this. Like we're talking there's a lot of money at stake. Uh, and the other interesting thing is that um, she was nominated for a Grammy for this thing. And the artist, the Christian artist has been nominated for a Grammy in the past. So it's not like they're like low, low level. Like this person. Like it even matters, a, right? You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting that there's, there's a lot more emphasis on, on trying to take back the artistry and protect the artist a lot more than we think might be happening. And this is a large takedown right now. I mean, who knows what the payout's going to be, but she made some money on it. I think she sang it at the Super Bowl, the song. So you're talking some performance rights. So I just thought it was an interesting thing that I read this week that I was shocked by. So the song, I think, was called Joyful Noise, a song um, the artist Gray released under the stage name Flame. I've never even heard of them. Yeah, you just named three things that I have no knowledge of. No, <laughs> but the funny thing is there's millions of hits on these songs. If if you're in that realm, right, right. It, it's popular. Just like my son who does Christian EDM, C-E-D-M, they call it. And there's millions and millions of songs and, and hits and there's a there's whole festivals about it, but if you don't like EDM, it doesn't exist. Exactly. You know, it's just, it's just not on your radar. Now, yeah. we've been chatting for almost 12 minutes. <laughs> we should probably get to the, to the interview unless you just, we could just have this a, a full banter uh, episode. <laughs> well, uh, we need to dive into the interview, but I, I just think it's, um, I'd, I'd love people to chime in and tell us what they think about 
you know, are things getting better or worse in the music industry um, as far as being for the artist? Mm-hmm. Um, or are there trends coming that we don't see right now? Like is Spotify going to last? Because everyone's up in arms about how little the artist gets paid. Apple announcing they're not going to do iTunes anymore. That's big news. They started the whole digital download thing, um, legal digital download thing. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Let me qualify that. Um, So there's a lot of weird changes going on, big, big, big ones. And I'm curious to know what people think of it. And, you know, like, tell us what you think. Why in the world is YouTube one of the, the leading sources of listenership of music? It's because the graphics and the artists go with it, right? There's a visual. Um, any release that my son does, he puts a visualizer on an instrumental EDM song because it's more interesting. So it's funny how video is taking over even the audio world. So I'm, I'm curious to see what the next steps are. So anyways, I just wanted to throw that yeah, in there because yeah. we were talking. So, But we should dive right into the interview. Do you want to give a little precursor to uh, the interview, Joe? No. No. Let's just dive right in. <laughs> we, um, the interview is with author Sheridan Voisey. You will find out more about him as we talk about his book. And I, I don't want to spoil anything because it's about, it's about a half an hour of just great conversation with him. And you've heard a little bit about him as we've been chatting leading up to this. But uh, really enjoyed chatting with him. Uh, a special book, in my opinion, and uh, an easy read. You get to walk alongside the author uh, as he experiences a change in life and then recognize those changes in your own experiences. That's probably enough said. Let's dive right in. So, Sheridan, first of all, thank you for joining us today. And I like to get people started just for the sake of them understanding who you are and where you're coming from. Um, Tell us a little bit about your faith journey, how you came to be a Christian, uh, the household you grew up in, whatever you feel like sharing. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, Joe, thanks for having me on the show. And, yeah, my faith journey is a really interesting one because uh, my parents were heavily involved in one of the classic cults uh one of the one of the big five cults and uh, my mum was a missionary with them my dad was uh, a local area missionary in london and um they spent 30 and 40 years each uh in this particular sect and uh then they kind of went through a decade of doubt and they weren't too sure what they believed Mm. and that was during that decade that i grew up and so they weren't too sure quite how to bring me up apart from the fact of you know, teach me that there is a God and and everything. But there's this wonderful experience that my mother, she would not let the, the question go as to who Jesus really was. Was he the archangel Michael, as uh, she'd been taught, mm. uh, or was he actually God in the flesh? And one day, uh, you, you wouldn't believe me, she spent about two or three years uh 
with that question. Every morning she would open up, um, she had a Catholic Douay version of the Bible, she had a, a Good News version of the Bible, neither of which she was allowed to have, but she was able to smuggle those out. All right. And then she had her own denominations version of the Bible, which had had key verses changed. And anyway, through a long story short, she had this amazing encounter with God where she discovered who Jesus actually is, that he really is, you know, I am in the flesh. And so during that time when that happened, I was in my late teens trying to start my life and find my acceptance and my value in nightclubs as a nightclub DJ, starting to get a bit of experience and a bit of success in my hometown of Brisbane. I started to win some competitions and things, started to DJ at some raves. But for some reason, it wasn't filling the hole inside. And so I was experiencing this emptiness. Mum had her experience. Dad followed through a little bit later on after that. And so really, that's how I came to faith. And then there's been a whole new journey, I guess, from that point on. That would have been in 1990. So it's been a bit of a journey. I think uh, for each of us, there's a unique journey. And you've probably had the opportunity because you, uh, as well as being an author, and we're going to come to your book in a minute, but you're also a speaker. And you worked in radio for a number of years. And so you, um, you're probably, to a certain extent, used to sharing your testimony. Is that fair to say? Yes, I have. I have. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> talk all the time, whether it be on the radio or, yeah, indeed at conferences or something. So, yes, I, I do talk talk a lot. Uh, maybe, maybe sometimes too much. Well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, the reason I, I wanted you to come in to talk to the audience today is uh, in March, and I want to acknowledge that it is now July, um, just shortly in March, your book, The Making of Us, and I'll give you the, the full title to folks, Who We Can Become When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. That book was released in March. It showed up on my doorstep in late February, I was immediately intrigued, had every intention to read it, and um, it, it stayed on a shelf. It's just timely. The timeliness of the book was extraordinary for me, which I won't get go into, but I saw that and thought, this oh, is God speaking do, to me. Do, do tell me, why was it timely for you? I, that's, that's what makes me as an author sing when I find <laughs> out that a book was timely for a reader. Well, uh, I will share, and people who are listening probably already have some sense of this. But um, yeah, uh, I had a job transition uh, about two and a half years ago. And uh, if you're familiar with the word, uh, you know, the question or the book, who moved my cheese kind of thing, the nature of my job that I had worked for uh, at this company for 11 years, it just changed to the point where I didn't really fit anymore. Uh, I mm-hmm. went to work for one of my clients, uh, and it was a um, a, 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 um, a humiliating and uh, experience. Just to, it, it went very poorly, and I found myself at uh, uh, forty seven. Uh, my dad had uh, just passed away a few months earlier. I found myself just at this point where I'm like, "Okay, I'm not working. I don't know what I want to do." Uh, I don't know um, what direction I should go with these things, these opportunities that seem to have been presented to me. And uh, still grieving and feeling the shame of losing a job. And sure. uh, uh, in the past uh, year and a half has been a very much 
my own kind of journey and my wife's journey because she's alongside me just as your wife has been alongside you. Mm -hmm. Um, she had just had a, a change in career recently, not to a statistician as, as your wife. It's my wife. Yes. <laughs> um, not but just, surprised. yeah. Um, but that, that change meant that there was a lot of flux in our household and, and we've been trying to figure out, well, okay, what does God really intend for this time? What, you know, what, what, um, what is he calling? And it, is it a lack of faith? If I feel like I need to go toward what makes us more financially viable as a household or going toward the things that I'm passionate about and knowing that I could walk alongside you in your book, because I feel like the way your book is written, we are walking alongside you, not, not just you and DJ, you know, taking this and we'll have to explain this in a minute, um, you know, taking your pilgrimage, but to to hear you talking to me as I walk next to you, as you explain some of the heartache and some of the the things that you've experienced and the stories that you've heard from people, it felt like I got to walk shoulder to shoulder with a friend for a period of time and go, he knows what I feel right. and how uh, and how I've gone through this, and I think that's what makes your book very effective. Now, having shared that with you. <laughs> We should probably, I should give you an opportunity to tell people about your book. Give me that yeah. elevator speech. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate you saying that, Joe, because I mean, that's exactly what I was praying the book would do. It would actually be that kind of companion that comes alongside people when they're in, in those moments of deep transition yeah. and asking two big questions. Who am I now and what am I supposed to do now? So, yeah, the book is based around a pilgrimage that my friend DJ and I did from a little island in the north of England called Lindisfarne, which has a, a central place in the history of Christian faith coming to England. And then I would dare say, you know, spreading out to Australia and to America and other countries from that particular point on. And so we're doing this 115-mile uh, pilgrimage from Lindisfarne down to Durham, in uh, Durhamshire, and uh, we're having these conversations. The backstory is a previous book called Resurrection Year, and that's where my wife and I really go into depth about what brought us to the United Kingdom in the first place, to have our year of starting again, our resurrection year. And that was 10 years trying to start a family, trying almost everything to do so and not being able to. Yeah. And then my wife really needing a new beginning at the end of that. And the only thing that she'd really wanted to do with her life, apart from become a mum, was to live and work overseas. And so when she got offered a job at uh, the University of Oxford here, where we are now, uh, we saw that as God's provision for a consolation prize, if you like. So we came over here. But that upended everything that was going well for me in Australia. Right. So when we left, we were in Sydney. I was hosting a national radio show out of Sydney. I had speaking opportunities. I had uh, writing opportunities. And when I came to the UK, all of that dried up. And so in, in much the same way as you've just explained, when we have those things that are taken away, we're asking those questions again. Who am I and what am I doing here? And these might have been questions that we had answers to that lasted us for years beforehand. But then we're asking them again. The what happened was was resurrection year connected in with a, a whole bunch of people, right. uh, not just who'd also experienced infertility, 
but to people who had never gotten married but wanted to get married or got married and got divorced or never got the dream career or lost the dream career, all those things, all sorts of broken dreams. And they're also selling their stories to me, telling them in quite a bit of detail, hundreds and hundreds of emails, uh, all saying the same thing too. Now that this has happened, I no longer know who I am or what I'm doing here. So the making of us was both a search for me, but right. also for them to find out, well, who can we become when life goes wrong? And now I would say, getting to the elevator pitch, that really <laughs> this moment, and for you too, Joe, this could be one of the defining moments in which you can discover a deeper sense of who you are. And actually, it can be the moment that God uses to use your adversity to touch other people in a profound way, in a way that maybe has never happened before. That's the two big things that I've taken out of, re uh, of writing the book. One of the themes that really stood out to me, and I wrote it down, uh, is the idea of identity. That there's a, kind of an exploration of uh, your, let's say, your occupation as identity, uh, uh, a, a woman's role as a mother or whatever. You know, we carry these tags on us that seem to communicate to other people and to ourselves, this is who I am. This is what I'm about. And you also talk a lot about legacy. You know, what is my identity when I am no longer here? What is the conversation mm -hmm. that people are having? And that has, these are things that have really been on my mind a lot, you know, uh, in the past 10 years of my marriage, you know, and trying to strengthen it and make it, you know, as, as good as it can possibly be, recognizing that part of what I had to do was submit to to God and what he wants from me and, and truly embrace the, uh, my role as father, as husband, and ensure that that is on top of these other identities that I'd taken on. Uh, right. and, uh, it's just a, it's a, it's a, a huge challenge, but I, as I see that reinforced in your book, uh, just yesterday, for example, and I'm not trying to take over your conversation. <laughs> I was coaching a kid's lacrosse practice <laughs> and, and I was running and picking up these the rubber balls that had gotten thrown all over. And I thought, you know, I want part of my legacy to be that I invested in youth and, you know, in helping them, these young men and women, become better people, you know, stronger, more confident, more courageous, because life is hard. And to go in there ready to battle and to know who they are. Um, so those are things that I got out of it. I don't, right. um, were, were those on, on your mind, the, the legacy and, uh, identity, were those key pieces for you as you're putting this together? Very key because, um, I mean, you've touched on it that really most of us, both male and female, we tend to define ourselves in terms of our identity by generally one of two things or two things together. One comes first, the other one in a second role for men, it's generally first occupation. Yeah. And then secondly, parenthood. So who am I? Uh, you know, it might be I'm an engineer and I'm a father of four. Um, but when you're in a period of unemployment, or maybe you're in transition and you're going to a different career altogether, then that's taken away. Maybe you haven't been able to have kids. Well, what happens then? For women, it's often kind of the reverse. It's then, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a wife and a mother, and then I also then do, and then talk about a, a, some sort of career role. That's just how our cultures, our Western cultures, have shaped us to be. That's two very small roles, good ones, wonderful, God-given roles, 
but there's only two at this very moment. I am also a son and I'm a brother and I'm an uncle and I'm a friend and I'm a neighbor. I'm a citizen. Um, I'm so many other things. I'm a husband, so many roles. And I think the thing as I was writing the making of us and trying to get this bigger picture of, of identity was just like, well, yes, too often we diminish our very selves by saying, I'm just one or two things. And so then when one or two things go, which in this fragile life they often do, then we're left with that crisis of identity. Yeah. So number one, I would say we are much bigger than we ever thought that we were, not just in terms of roles, because that's definitely there in relationships. But what about our personality, um, our very character, our idiosyncrasies? Why is it that I particularly love soul and funk from the years 1982 to 1987? <laughs> the dance <laughs> band, yeah. Dance band, exactly. You know, <laughs> like classic stuff, that really good stuff. You know, why is that a case for me? Well, somehow it's just a part of who I am and it's the influences that I was given at the time. And, you know, I got hooked on bass and all those type things. But that somehow says something about me. Um, our, our vocations, our jobs do say something about us. They say something about our build and our capacities and our skills and everything like that. So they're a part of us, but it's not the whole of it. So we're bigger than we thought we were. And then secondly, and this is the most important thing, is that even all of those things can be taken away. And what is really left is at the core First John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Yeah. And I had preached this, Joe. I had written articles on it, um, no doubt done radio programs on it. But it's when you go through the wilderness and have all those other, other identities taken away, then you really discover how deep it's gone into your heart and your soul. So actually a time of wilderness like this, where you're not too sure where you are and what the career is and vocation is, this is the best opportunity. Uh, and it may not last long because, you know, who knows what's going to come around the corner, but it's the best opportunity to go really deep into that yeah. and say, well, this is the most, am I really living in the, the joy and the acceptance and the embrace and the value that comes from that one identity so that then it starts to flow out into my husband role and my father role and my friend role and all of these other things. Excellent. You know, I, so I, I got my copy of the book right here, which nobody can see, but you can. And there were two passages that as I went through the book, that I had to stop for a second, get a pen, and say, I, I really want to to bring up these. So the first thing I'm going to go to is uh, page 121. And, of course, you have your book memorized, so you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, and this is something that I um, – the idea of busyness as a bully. Oh, yeah. And uh, I I read that, and I called my wife downstairs, and I said, I need to read this to you. Uh, and uh, of course, as I read it to her, her response was, uh, is this something you think that I need to hear? And I'm like, no, it's something that I need to hear, but somehow saying it out loud to you just reinforces how important it is that, right. um, that, that you as a writer have captured this idea of busyness and how it imposes itself upon us, especially when coupled with comparison, that mm. it just sweeps our feet out from underneath us. Uh, what, what's been your experience with busyness, especially in this new 
transition as you've come out of, as you're living in Oxford and taking on the mantle of, of writer and speaker, where do you feel that imposing itself on you? Yeah, the, that particular part that you're talking about in the book is um, a part that I, I talk about some of the little mini burnouts that I've had over the years. And yeah, the particular passage that you're thinking, you're thinking of is busyness is a bully at the best of times, strong and greedy. It wants the playground for itself and so forces all else to flee. It chases peace away first, then patience, then kindness before stomping out love and joy and self-control. Busyness whistles and hollers and kicks up the dust. It clouds things up clouds things up and drowns things out. But this bully gets worse when it hangs around comparison. And I think that's the thing is that I, during this pilgrimage, and we were getting very tired, particularly towards the end of the pilgrimage and yes. you know, blisters and everything, but it's starting to echo other moments of exhaustion that I'd had over the years. And I think of one particular burnout time when I was in college, another one when I was a youth pastor for a very small period of time, realized I wasn't called to be a youth pastor, but right. I burned then. And then a third time when I was kind of coming in a period, a very busy period of radio. And I think each time it was business driven by comparison that was the key. I was looking at other people, people that I admired, people that I wanted to be like, but people that somehow there was a little voice inside me that said, you should be like them. It wasn't just that you could, or maybe, you know, you can learn from them, but no, you should be like them. So in college, for some reason, I was comparing myself to the school principal who was absolutely <laughs> astounding. He was doing international speaking trips. He was running an entire educational institution. He was also running a furniture business with multiple outlets with his brother. Um, he was sitting on various boards, mission boards and things like that. I didn't even think back then to think that he was also a husband and father. Right. And somehow I thought, well, he sh he's doing all this. I should be able to do what I was doing, which was a bit of study and some counseling training and some radio work on the side. And yet I was struggling to do it. And yet somehow I thought that he was the, the benchmark. Why was that? Uh, back in when I was a youth pastor, I was comparing myself to other pastors and comparing myself to other youth workers, and they were doing it so well. Why was I doing that? And that led to busyness because I had to work harder to get more results, to feel like I was significant, right. which then brings us back to the identity question. So it's a key right. thing, and we can actually say comparison's a liar. Yes. <laughs> busyness is a bully. And we will not let them kick us around the playground anymore. And that I can learn from you and I can grow from looking at what you're doing. But I'm still, I'm called to walk my own path. And the success that you're having is not necessarily the success that I'm going to have. And that's okay. Let me do the best work that I can. Let me honor God in everything that I do. Uh, that's the key. That's the key. Otherwise, the comparison will drive us to drivenness and that will burn us out real quick yeah and it it it, it radiates to everything it it doesn't end with you it, it's every relationship that you have is impacted and generally not in a positive way by that. well that's exactly right it actually robs us of time with other people of course because we of course just just slip into workaholism so that's, that's right. the other that's the other thing, too, is that most precious things, the best things, the most gospel things in our lives, which are relationships, then 
are diminished, certainly in our own view, if not in actuality. And then we find ourselves having no time for the very people that are there to ground us so that we don't go in these unhealthy directions. It's a really uh, a downward spiral, if you allow it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so going on to the second um, one, and this, uh, it resonated with me, but the more, the deeper I got into the book, I, I realized how it um, was a reflection on your own pilgrimage as well. And uh, on page 54, and it's very, it's very brief. It's the idea of art as a pilgrimage. And if that first paragraph coming out of the section break um, would you be kind enough to read that to me and maybe comment on that? Van Gogh leads us into a starry blue night. Da Vinci takes us to the Last Supper's table. Monet guides us to a lily-filled pond and Rembrandt to the scene of a prodigal returning home. Dickens takes us through old London streets, Harper Lee through the segregated South. Perhaps at its heart, all art is pilgrimage, a trek to a sacred somewhere through a frame or a page. Perhaps every song is a journey through a lyrical landscape, every beat a step forward into new territory. It's quite early on in the book. Like you said, it's page 54. And so we're, I think we're just, ooh, we're just actually still in our first day of walking. And I'm just feeling, a feeling pilgrimage in my body because we have spent some time on this little tiny island and then we've walked the mudflats back. Uh, we've crossed over back onto the mud, onto the mainland. We started the pilgrimage proper. And we stayed overnight. It's one place where we're about to go into the uh, second day's uh, pilgrimage. And so I can just feel the rhythm of walking kind of in my very bones. And it's stimulating all sorts of thoughts and ideas, um, some to do with guidance and prayer, um, some to do with taking risks, some to do with not asking the what if question, which happens so much for the people that I communicate with so often when they've been through a broken dream, they'd say, well, what if we had tried one more thing to have a child or what if we'd waited mm. one more week for the adoption to come through maybe it would have come through we would have got the phone call we you know did one more job interview we would have got the perfect job all of those kinds of things and that what if question will take us down all sorts of difficult paths as well but i was also feeling that rhythm and i was thinking about my love of art and music and thinking you know what they really can be pilgrimages themselves. They take us to new places, don't they? A song takes us somewhere in yeah. three minutes, 47 seconds. Um, a, a good painting, a good photograph will take us somewhere. And that's where the, the concept came from. I, uh, I read that and a lot of the authors that I speak to, because I talk a lot of people who write nonfiction, uh, like yourself, um, don't necessarily consider themselves artists. For some reason, they, there's a disconnect. They see somebody who writes a song or uh, is a sculptor or a poet or whatever. Oh, those, those are artists. Uh, I, I wrote this thing. And, and, and maybe I'm projecting, but as I was reading it, I felt like as we are moving through the book on this pilgrimage with you, that as you're thinking about regret and some of these other pieces that you are more embracing the idea of yourself as an artist. Is that me projecting or is that, is that something that you see? I don't think you're projecting at all, but I think you're drawing out something that I may not have clarified in those words, because as you know, 
later on in the pilgrimage and I'm thinking about what I should focus on and whether I should go back into broadcasting as a host. Yeah. Um, because when I came back to the UK, I did have some opportunities, but they, they, they really weren't what I wanted to do. And, um, something just seemed wrong about going back into broadcasting, even though I miss hosting every day, Joe, and I really, I really miss it. And what came back to me as I kept on thinking about the past and what I did well and what I hadn't done well and, and what I was good at and what I found boring or tedious was this notion of creation is that, you know, for I've had times where I've taught at Bible colleges and theological colleges and things like that. I've gotten bored within a couple of semesters because uh, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not, I, I am a teacher, but actually at the heart of my desire to communicate is to actually create something new to present to you. And so I think, I think you're right. I think you've touched on something. I feel most almost truest to who I am when I've been able to craft some words that actually are beautiful, not just simply contain some insight or truth, but they actually really are beautiful and lyrical and there's something of imagination that's been inspired and, and, and fired by the things that I've written. So, you know, I, I think you might have given me a gift there. Maybe it is that I've kind of come to see myself as an artist rather than um, simply a communicator, which is what I've generally thought of myself as. Well, I, I do think you're an artist. As, I, as I'm reading your book, the, um, the way that you put the words together, the, um, the word pictures that you paint are beyond somebody that has, uh, and this is going to sound cynical, who has taken a series of blog posts and stuck them together and, and, and then now it's a book. Um, it, there's a thoughtfulness to it, uh, in the way that you flash back to certain points and, and recollections, but to the way that you will describe a, a location or a, an individual that, uh, as people who I, I want to encourage to pick up this book, because I think even if it, you don't think it's for you, it probably is for you. It's probably for some people around you as well that you will just see that um, there's an investment in prose that we don't see as much as we probably should. I just want to affirm you for some beautiful writing. Uh, well, thank you, Joe. I really, I do appreciate that because this is hard work for me. So writing a book like The Making of Us, it took four years to write, yeah. um, to, to, to craft those things, to really invest in metaphor and image and simile and to thread stories together so that sometimes they're paused and they're picked up later and then you kind of continue them and then you pause them again and to make that all work as well as communicate some insights that the reader can take away for their own lives. That, for me, just takes a lot of time and i joked to my wife several times while i was making the, the book that uh, uh i would rather some days just to be sitting on a, a factory conveyor belt putting widgets on widgets <laughs> because it, oh, it's yeah. everything out of me and oh, yet yeah. it's an artistic aspect that you know, is where the great life is it really is I completely relate to that. Completely relate. I, a, a beautifully written sentence will take me an hour and I'll get to done with it and I'll go, why did that take so long? Because it's a creative process. Uh, yes. And uh, so. Yeah. Don't you hate these people who say that they work on writing a thousand words a day? 
I just go, a thousand words a day. I know many writers who say, well, that's their goal. They, they, they write a thousand words a day. My goodness, when I'm writing a, if I'm writing a blog post, well, then I might be able to write a thousand words a day. But if I'm writing a book like The Making of Us, my goodness, 300 words a day is my best effort. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a friend, Travis Thrasher, who's, uh, published over 50 books. Um, and he is fast. He is just, he's got some gift that allows him to put things down very quickly. Uh, but uh, he is an anomaly in my mind. And, uh, and I think, as I like, talk to people who write songs, there are people who will write a, an amazing song in five minutes, and some people it'll take them six months. You know, <clears throat> we all have yeah. our own journeys and uh, applications uh, of our gifts. And this is the comparison thing again, isn't it? Because how it many times... While I was writing The Making of Us, was I beating myself up at the end of the day, the fact that I only had 250 words or something, and I was thinking about my friend Adrian Plass, who always does a 1,000 words a day. And this, again, if mm -hmm. it takes you five minutes to write a song, great. If it takes you six months to write a song, in the end, we have to do the craft that we can do to bring the results that we're called to do to the world, and that's just the end of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Now the the probably the, the thing I want to leave folks on not well not leave folks on but one of the last things I wanted to touch on is I have to confess that as I got about halfway through the book I went this guy's done radio I bet he recorded the audiobook version of this mm -hmm. and uh I'm going to go find it so I went and got it I split time finishing the book by listening to your audio performance and uh, your narration and, and, and reading as well. Okay. And, uh, and as somebody who does voiceover and narration, you did a fantastic job. Um, it, Thank you. It, it brought uh, a level of your personality into the story that hadn't necessarily been present, not because it was lacking, but because uh, it's your voice and it's you yeah. communicating and it's almost like a, this wonderful companion to reading your book is to hear it in your own voice. And, uh, and for folks who are wondering, I don't have time to read this. The audiobook is very well produced and it's worth picking up along with the book, you know, just, just bundle it folks. But, um, so you recorded <laughs> that. You. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you recorded that yourself. Um, you and I spoke a little bit beforehand. This isn't the, your, your first rodeo when it comes to that. But um, as we were talking about challenges of writing, what were some challenges for you on the narration side of things? Well, I narrated it right here in, in the office that I'm talking to you in now. And uh, you being an audio guy and an artist, you would um, you would appreciate these things that you can, because we're talking via Skype, you can see these panels up to yes, my right here. And it's a big picture of this beautiful tree. I call it the tree of life. And it's actually a photo that I took, and I have actually been able to blow it up onto material and actually these are sound absorption panels so this is to you know just make the the, the room a little bit quieter and uh, a little bit less reflective so yes. i'd set up the room like that but it's still not completely uh lacking in reverberation so i i set up pillows and everything so number one was just you work with what you 
you've got, right? So I, right. I set up basically as soundproofing as I could. I really enjoyed recording the audiobook for The Making of Us this time because I was able to pass the editing on to somebody else. <laughs> now, the last two audiobooks, and you'd recognize this, the last two audiobooks I've both recorded and edited myself. And the editing, uh, certainly the last one, I think was two weeks alone of just full-time editing um, because of various things. It was a it was a book of devotionals, so it was actually 90 individual segments, so that added yeah. um, a lot yes. of space to it. But it was just wonderful to pass the editing on to somebody else, which meant I could just focus on uh, delivering as good a read as I could. And if I was to mess up, well, that was okay. I, I uh, trusted that it was going to be taken out afterwards. And I believe, hopefully, all of those <laughs> muffed words and dropped sentences actually were taken out. I think you did good. There was there were a couple of times where I noticed, and this is just me because I proof audiobooks for people it. too. Yeah. And I read and I'm like, oh, he switched out that word. Instead of using bubbly for referring to his stomach, he used uh, you used a different word. And I went, grumbles. Your stomach grumbles. And the other one said bum- bumbles or something oh, like that. Okay. And I went, oh, I wonder if on the fly he just said, I like this word better. I'm just going to swap it out, which I can do no, because what? I wrote the That's- book. Fascinating to hear that, Joe. I would imagine that may well have not been conscious that I maybe have just been kind of I was in the read, and then my eyes had probably just not held strictly to the text, and I had then just thrown that word in there on the fly, probably without even realizing it. So there you go, listeners. You now know there is some slight variations between the print product <laughs> and the audio product. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it would require you, of course, to read the book physically and listen at the same time. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a strange person. These are things that I do. So, um, But have at her, people, you know. Um, you know, what I'd like to do, um, and I didn't even think about, I didn't mention this before, but, um, uh, I'm going to offer a copy of the audio book to, of your book to, um, the first person that sends me an email to joe at frequency.fm. If you are interested in a copy of the audio book, I'll make sure that you get a copy of it. Just shoot the first person that hears this and shoots me an email um, I'll get you the gift code so you can get a copy of it because uh, it really is. It's a wonderful performance of a, of a really wonderful book. Um, uh, and just to remind people, as I pick up the book again, um, the name of the book is The Making of Us, Who We Can Become When Life Doesn't Go As Planned. Uh, and we've been talking to the author. Now I'm going to pronounce it right. Sheridan Voisey. Beautiful. Oh, You're one awesome. of the few people in the world who actually gets the pronunciation right. <laughs> I am a very special person. god knows that now i know it too (laughs) (laughs) i've really enjoyed chatting with you and i know that you have to go hop on a bus um there's about a hundred other things that i would love to talk to you about i'll just head out there and we'll just uh, you can walk alongside yes indeed i'll have better boots i'm happy to do a part two whenever you want to do uh, that joe it's a good conversation i appreciate it Well, that was my interview with author Sheridan Voisey. We did talk about maybe doing a part two at some point because there was just a lot of stuff that uh, we could have talked about. But um, oh, yeah. uh, and I just like listening to people with British accents. Uh, except he's from Australia, so Australia is it an Australian accent? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, from the Brisbane area, so uh, there is a a very uh, there's a, a, a lot of similarity between 
Brisbane uh, and the, the Brisbane uh, dialect and um, some uh, elements of British dialect. Plus, he's been living in uh, uh, in Britain for a little bit now. Um, yeah, and 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 yeah, and he's on BBC, right? <laughs> you tend to be sort of absorbed into that sort of just like if i hung out with you in in portlandia i would end up talking like a portlandian except we don't talk like that i don't, I don't know who that is i don't know what it sounds like it sounds like this it's a the absence of a dialect they uh, there's an actual term for it it's like uh north american neutral okay. right there's so sort of like canadian no canadians got those elements of uh scandinavia so you've got in Scotland, you've got some tighter, you know, there's some yeah. a, a little more nasally and, and you get a little tighter uh, with your R's and that kind of, yeah. right? So. Oh, that's, that's yeah, Scottish, Irish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Honestly, Joe, sorry, I, I was, I was thinking in my head, I was going to share, I, I wish that I had the time, energy and money to go to Nashville because we actually got invited to the Gettys event. Who's we? Um, we as in anyone who wanted to come with us. Um, the Gettys are, are they're like 9,000 people are going to be in Nashville for their big uh, music event wow. um, yeah. called, called Sing. And uh, we, we got an invite um, for free to get in anywhere we want to go. But it's the one time of the year and the way things are right now. I can't go. <laughs> I'd love to go down there. Um, I'm not a huge Getty fan. Like they're not like, wow, the Gettys. I want to go hear them. But they're the professionalism of their musicianship. I love. Yeah. Um, the Celtic flair. They're going to actually do. Yeah, it's very theological, which I like. But um, they just got so many different artists that are going to be there. Of like Shane and Shane. And, oh yeah, I'd uh, love to uh, chat with those. You know, guys. like. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Anyways, it was just sort of a side note before we go. Um, I would encourage people if they are in the area to go just because it is such a, a diverse event. Mm -hmm. um, and I really love them. They're, they've been very kind to us. I've been able to interact with them in person. Um, she loves Prince Edward Island and she's never been here. So um, I'm working on getting them here in November because they're, they're actually going to be an hour and a half away from me. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, anyways, I would encourage people to go just because they, they take it seriously and music seriously. And they are definitely um, uh, songwriters, hymn writers, and for the artists, they're really trying to encourage and train people up for the future. So uh, although we're not like huge Gettys fans, I appreciate their ministry and what they're trying to accomplish for the church. Yeah, um, And that's the Sing Conference in Nashville. And I think that's uh, in August around the twenty something i forget the exact date um anyways it was just a side note but um yeah they're they're definitely uh it's well done cool yeah so anyways, i've talked a lot in this episode it's been a while <laughs> since we've uh, since it's since it's been a while since we recorded i i'm just letting you go man i'm just letting you go and i'm not editing anymore we're done with editing so <laughs> it's just going to be you talked about the dead dog you talked about you know Katy perry um and you talked about the difference in dialects. I think we've really kind of touched everything that really our listeners have longed for us to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could talk about the fact that my wife and daughter are opening a Christmas store, but that would just either drive people crazy or make them go, wow. Um, it's are, it's summer. So I, I think they would go, huh. 
I think. Well, c- consider this though, Joe. I'm considering that yes. if if you're going to do a Christmas album and release it in November, when would you record it? Uh, yeah. Now, and I would start promoting yeah. it closer to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> See, w- in order to launch a store, you need people to support it and and to build momentum so people know where to go when October 1st comes and we actually open our doors. So, All right. anyways. Uh, this yeah. episode is brought to you by Star and Stable. Star and Stable Christmas Store. Anyways, if if you have any opinions about Christmas, I'd like to hear about it too, because uh, we get mocked mercilessly for it. But yet, most of the public who likes Christmas are willing to like pre-buy things, and they're like, "Please let me know when the cafe opens, because I want to be the first to have your coffee." And yeah, it's going to be fun. So we're ramping up for that in the fall as well. So we've been we've been busy. It's a lot of work, man. Proud of those ladies. Yep, they've been planning this for a number of years. And it's on our property, so we don't have to pay rent, which is the best part. Yeah, low overhead. Yep. Well. Yeah. So, without further ado, though. I will be talking we, with my friend, our friend Ross King again soon. We've had to reschedule a couple of times. He'll be coming up. And then uh need to start queuing up some more more artists to bring on the show. There's no, no lack of them. But thank you guys for listening. Uh, thanks for sticking with us your patience with our uh, inconsistency and you know that we love you and we love christian artists and we love this opportunity so just thank you very much yes thank you and bye for now bye for now